Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. This morning, we're continuing our series on In God I Trust. And as we're talking about trusting God, one of the key questions we have to ask is, what is our perception of him? Because how you see him is often how you're going to respond to him. How you see God. It's so important that we have a healthy, a biblical perspective, not necessarily based on past experience or what someone else has said, but we've got a healthy biblical perspective and the scriptures give us a great picture of God and who he is and how we can trust him. And as we talk about in God, I trust, it's so important that we see him the right way. In 1879, there was an expedition that took place in the United States as 28 men and their leader, Captain Lieutenant, actually Lieutenant George DeLong, set off in a ship called the USS Jeanette. And their goal was, it was an exciting voyage. They were going to discover and claim the North Pole for the United States. As they left, they were, they were excited. They had the ship, they had the equipment, and they had a map. And this map was done by the leading scientist and cartographer of that day. His name was Hans Peterman. He was a doctor. And he talked about that if you go north, there was going to be a thermometric gateway that was a portal to what he called a polar sea, and it was going to be clear sailing all the way to the North Pole. As they went with this map, they were excited to find, and they knew all we have to do is find that that portal, find that gateway in the ice, and we're going to sail all the way to the North Pole. Only problem was Hans Peterman had never been to the North Pole. Hans Peterman just based it, but he was a leading scientist of the day. They based this entire expedition on his map. And as they got closer and closer, they began to realize there was a problem. They realized that there, as the ice began to close in around them, that there was no thermometric gateway and there was no polar sea. It was all ice all the way. And the ice closed in around that ship and actually crushed the ship to the point where they had to abandon it. And the crews left for Siberia, tried to walk their way to Siberia. Some made it. George DeLong never did. All because he had the wrong map, the wrong information. One of the most important information that you can ever have is about God, how you see him. Is he harsh or is he kind? Is he looking to punish? Is he looking to bless? Is he unfair or is he fair? So this morning as we talk about in God, I trust we want to talk about a God who is totally fair, more than fair. Now, maybe that's a word we haven't used with God enough, but yet we learn it quickly. We think about being fair. We think about people that we want to do business with. Everybody wants to do business with someone who's fair, someone who's honest. We think about relationships. We want people who are fair to us. I always hated to get those relationships where someone treated you really good when they were when it was just you and them, but then you got in a group and they treated you like you didn't exist? No bueno. I didn't like that at all. That wasn't fair. Little children learn to understand. In fact, after, they're, after they learn mine, their first phrase is, it's not fair. Because you give one of them an ice cream cone and it's like, it's not fair. Her ice cream cone is bigger than my ice cream cone. We learn it's not fair easily. And, and other people will tell you, those who've been around a while will tell you life is not fair. Welcome to life. 
Hey, it's not fair that some people never studied and made straight A's. Remember, I know anybody like that? If you are one, don't raise your hand. (laughs) It's not fair that you can be going down the highway and someone just blows past you in the left lane and you get caught by the police and get the ticket. And you're looking at them going, it's not fair. What about the guy that just blew past me? They don't care. You're the one getting the ticket. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair that pets are the only family members we get to choose. Life is not fair. (laughs) There were two men standing in line to get into heaven. And the angel was checking names off the list. The first guy in line had, had black leather pants, wearing a black leather jacket, kind of a loud shirt, a lot of gold chains. He stepped up to the table and the angel said, name, he says, Joey Cohen. New York City, taxi driver. And the angel looked down the list. He said, Joey. He said, good to see you. He said, here's a silk robe. Here's a golden staff. And this angel right here is going to take you to your mansion. It's beautiful. Well, the guy next in line was a pastor. And he watched all those rewards that Joey got. And he's thinking, this is going to be good. So he steps up and in his very pastoral voice, he said, Reverend Joseph Snow, pastor of the first church for 43 years. Angel looked down the list. He said, oh yes, Reverend Snow. Said, uh, here's your cloth robe. Here's your wooden staff. And here are the directions to your condo. He said, wait a minute, that's not fair. This New York City taxi driver got a golden staff and a silk robe and a mansion and I get a cloth robe and a wooden staff and a condo. That's not fair. Angel looked at him and said, Reverend, we work off results up here. When you preached, people slept. When Joey drove, people prayed. (laughs) Life isn't fair. You know who's fair? God is fair. God is totally fair. Look what it says here in, in Hebrews. He says, for God is not unjust. That word unjust, we would use the word fair. He's not unfair. To forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It says God is he's not unfair. What you do for other people, he takes it personally. What you do for his saints, what you do for his children, what you do for his people, he takes that personally. He is not unjust to forgive. He is not unfair. God is totally fair. Remember when Paul, the apostle Paul, before he was the apostle Paul, he was Saul, the one who persecuted the church. And here he is persecuting the church. He's going to Damascus. He's actually going to take believers in Christ. He's going to take them, rip them out of their homes, put them in chains and take them to Jerusalem. He's going to put them in prison. He was a bad guy. And on the way there, a light falls around him. He falls to the ground and a voice speaks to him out of heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. You know, Jesus didn't say, you're persecuting my people. You're persecuting my church. He took it personally that Paul was persecuting his people. And he said, you've done it to me. If God recognizes that when we persecute his people, he takes that personally. How about when we do right that he takes it personally? He takes it. He's not unfair. He's totally fair. A number of years ago, our daughter was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She moved up there and she was living by herself and she called us one night and she was having stomach 
She said, I'm having stomach problems. I said, where are they, darling? She said, man, they're low. And I said, uh, that, that, that on one side, sounded like appendicitis. And so we encouraged her to go to the uh, urgent care. They went to urgent care. Urgent, she's in a lot of pain. Urgent care sent her to the emergency room. And she sat in the emergency room for a long time. Well, word got to uh, Matt and Kelly. Kelly, uh, our Matthew, Kelly's his wife. She's a blessing. She teaches in our art kids. She's been a blessing to our family. And she called her mom, Mary Beth, for shears, who lived in Oklahoma City. When Mary Beth found out that our daughter was sitting in an emergency room by herself in pain, she got in her car and drove from Oklahoma City to Tulsa and found Christina in the emergency room. She said when he found Christina, she was sitting up in, in just in a chair, just moaning in pain. They took her in and removed her, her appendix before it ruptured. Thank God they got it. But Mary Beth sat with her when she was going into surgery. When she woke up, Mary Beth was there. Jory couldn't be there. Mary Beth was. How many of you know that as a parent, you couldn't have done anything better for me than what you did for my daughter? We've never forgotten that. We appreciate what you, how many of you know, and you've said this before, I've heard people say this before, well, I don't care, you can do whatever you want to me, but don't you do it to my kids. And all of us feel, listen, where did we get that? We got that from our heavenly father. He's the greatest father of all. And what you do for his kids, he takes that personally. We'll never forget what Mary Beth did. We take it personally. And we take what she did, and, and no, we'll never forget it. We appreciate it. And God doesn't forget either. It's totally fair. I want to share with you a story in the Bible about how Jesus was totally fair. Remember, when you see Jesus, you see God. If you want to see what God looks like, we look at Jesus. He is the representative. He's just a representative of God. Here's how, here's how God is. And how Jesus is more than fair to Peter is a great story right here. They had just met. This is early on in their walk. It's in Luke 5. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, Jesus, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus is more than fair. He, uh, Jesus is, is, is by the lake, and, and the people are pressing in on him. He realizes he needs another place to preach, a better place to preach, and so he actually asked Peter. He asked Peter, Hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? Can you hold it, just hold it still while I teach the people from the land? Now, Jesus, I don't know how long he taught. My guess is it's longer than me. I bet you he, he taught longer than 30 minutes. You say, well, why, why don't you teach longer than 30 minutes? Because uh, I'm not Jesus, and, and you wouldn't listen that long. So there... <laughs> But he's out there teaching the people. He's sitting in the boat, and Peter's holding the boat. Jesus didn't demand it. Jesus asked him. 
would you let me use your boat? Didn't command that. He just asked him. And so what he did cost Peter. Peter had fished all night. That, in, in that part of the country, they fish all night. They don't fish in the daytime. They throw the nets out. They bring the nets in. You throw the nets out, you bring the nets in. You, he caught nothing. He's probably tired. He's washing his nets. He wants to go home. He wants to get some breakfast. He wants to go to bed. And Jesus said, hey, will you, will you, long, will you put out, out here, let me just teach the people from the boat. And it cost Peter some time. It cost him some effort and his boat. I need to borrow your boat. But Jesus did not ask Peter to do anything that Peter did not have the capacity to do. And remember that he asked him, he didn't demand it. Now, Peter agreed. Peter did it. And after Jesus taught the people, he wanted to honor what Peter did for him. He said, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, listen, you say, well, he's not honoring what Peter did. Yes, he is. Because the way this story reads is Peter helped Jesus. Now Jesus is helping Peter. Because Jesus, the story does not read, and Peter was walking by the lake of Gennesaret and saw Peter and said, hey, did you catch anything? Peter said, no. And Jesus said, launch out in the deep and catch something. And Peter caught a whole bunch of fish. It doesn't work that way. He said, would you help me? Would you help me just preach the gospel to these people? And, and Peter said, I'm going to help you. And Jesus said, great. And after he did it, Jesus said, now you launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Peter didn't know Jesus. He didn't know him that well. They had really just met. And so Peter, he didn't know how good Jesus was. And he didn't know what Jesus could do. He's looking at Jesus and you could hear it in his, in, in his response. Lord, bless your heart. You're a preacher. Preachers don't know nothing about fishing. You don't fish in the daytime. You don't launch out into the deep. <laughs> Bless you, Lord. But, but then Peter said something that was brilliant. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I will. That's one of the greatest trust statements you can ever say. You know, a lot of times we don't know how everything's going to work out. And one of the best things we can ever say to the Lord is, Lord, I, I don't know how all this is going to work out. In fact, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But nevertheless, Lord, whatever you say, at your word, I will. That's one of the greatest trust statements we can ever say. Amen. And Peter said it, and he launches out to the deep, and Jesus was more than fair with Peter. Because it didn't say Peter threw out his debt and caught four fish and two skinny crabs. <laughs> we need to understand. We read this, and we read it from our perspective. He threw out his nets and the nets begin to break because there was so much fish in them. So now you got breaking nets. Work, they call their partners and they bring another fishing boat out there. And there were so many fish that they filled both of the boats up and the fishing boats are starting to sink. Listen, guys, we got a net breaking boat sinking God who can do some amazing things. And they were just amazed. You talk, you talk about more than fair. He was more than fair with Peter. And Peter fell at his knees. Now, I've always wondered, that's the only time in the Bible you see where someone fell at Jesus' knees. Why did he fall at Jesus' knees? Usually they fall at Jesus' feet because the boat was full of fish. They were standing with fish up to their knees and he falls at Jesus' knees, but he, he felt so unworthy. He's like, Lord, you, you need to depart from me. Lord, I, I don't deserve this. I, I'm not worthy of this. This is too good for me. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Lord. And I love what Peter, what Jesus said to Peter. He said, don't be afraid, Peter. 
God knew what Peter was before, before Peter ever recognized Jesus. Jesus knew what Peter was, and, but Jesus had a bigger plan for Peter than just catching fish. And when they came back, the, the material blessing was great, but the Bible said they left all and followed, followed him. Our God is totally good and more than fair. You see, we have to trust that. If we're talking about trusting in him, we have to trust him when he asks us to do something for him. Now, I'm going to just be very, very, very clear with you, and I want you to hear me on this. The Lord will ask you to do something for him. You say, well, he hasn't asked me. Well, sometimes it comes through your pastor. <laughs> but he will ask you to do something for him, and it will cost you. It, we, got, we got leaders who are helping these young people go to, to Dallas, people who have taken vacation time. To, it costs them something. But whatever you do for him, he takes personally. And your service for him, he takes that personally. He'll ask you to do something. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you some effort, but it's worth it. He'll ask you to give. Now, don't get nervous. We're not going to take up an offering. <laughs> but the Lord will ask you to give. He'll ask you to tithe. He'll ask you to give to his kingdom and his people. He will ask that of you. He will not make you. He will not demand that you do it. He asks you to do it. But here's the deal. He'll never ask you to do more than what you can do. Amen. He'll never ask you beyond your capacity. But here's the thought. As I was praying about this message and thinking, this is the thought that came to me, and I've never thought of it before. But we sing about it today. What he's done for us. What he's done for us. If anyone's earned the right to ask us to do something for him, it's the one who has done so much for us. Listen, we're here today because he sent his son to die for us and forgave us of our sins and has given us new life and has given us his Holy Spirit and given us the promise of heaven. And there's many of us that he's healed and he's strengthened and he's mended and he's put back together. He has done so much for us and we don't ever need to forget it. We need to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a tip. Don't even wait for him to ask. You ask him, Lord, what can I do for you? Joy was sick 30 years ago with acute chronic pancreatitis. And she had a surgery down at the medical center. Michael was about five months old. Matt, Matt I think, was about nine. Christina, six. I had, so I had three small kids. They did a surgery, and in the surgery, her, um, the surgery didn't take too well. And she's lying in bed, and she's by herself, and she's just feeling the. And one of our neighbors walked in. Two doors down, we had a neighbor named Melissa. Melissa used to be a uh, RN, and she went back to school, went to A&M, got an engineering degree. She's now an engineer working for the hospital, St. Luke's. She walked in, and she was dressed to the, Joyce said she was dressed impeccably. Beautiful silk blouse, skirt. She was dressed to go to work in her engineering department. And she walked in, and she saw Joy, and she looked at her chart. She shook her head. She said, you're not going to get a bath today. And she put the chart down, and Joy said she rolled up the sleeves on her silk blouse, and she gave Joy a head-to-toe bath and brushed her teeth, combed her hair, rolled her sleeves down, and went out. You don't think we would ever forget that? Someone that would do something like that for us? It meant the world to us.
And it just was something they did. I, I think about that, but I think, oh, what Jesus did for us. You talk about somebody who rolled his sleeves up and did the tough work. The cross was tough. But what he's done for us, and then he asked us to do something for him. And not only does he ask us, but he said, it's, you're not doing it for nothing. He's still just to remember. Look what it says here. My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you know whatever you do for him is not in vain? Do you know whatever you do for him is not wasted? There's a lot of us that said, man, I've done a lot of things. And maybe you have done something. And at the end, you just throw up your hands and say, that was a waste of time. That was a waste of effort. Anything you do for the Lord is not a waste. You work the parking lot, it's not a waste. You work with our kids, it's not a waste. You're one of our ushers, it's not a waste. You're one of our administrative people, it's not a waste. You take something to a neighbor that's hurting and just bless them, it's not a waste. Whatever you do for him is not a waste and he remembers it. And if we're gonna trust him, we're gonna have to trust that he will honor whatever we do for him. We're not trying to earn his love, guys. I'm not talking about that. I'm not trying to earn my way or work my way to heaven or earn his love. I cannot earn his love. His love is unconditional. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved you when you were unlovable. He still loves us regardless of what we do. He's a loving God, but he does reward what we do for him. And there are rewards in that. Now I want to talk about the next verse. It's, it's, and it talks specifically about giving finances. Look at it. Look at it. it says here. Let each of you give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's one of my favorite verses because it says, if I'll give cheerfully, notice that the abundant grace follows the cheerful giving. But as we give cheerfully, you're not going to outgive God. You're not going to give and God's going to go, he, you give and you give cheerfully with the right heart, the Bible said he's able to make all grace abound towards you. If we understood how good he is, we would give cheerfully. If we understood that it pleases him, we would give cheerfully. If we understood he calls his grace to come our way, say, is it always finances? No, I'm gonna tell you something, guys. He can cause grace to come into your family that can mend your family when nothing else can. He can heal a marriage when nothing else can. He can do something in your body when nobody else can. He can cause grace to come to you. And he does a great job of it. So when we give and you give and we're not taking up another offering, this is not something to try to get you to give. This is something to try to get you to honor God and to recognize that you will never be able to outgive him because he is more than fair, more than fair. You're never going to outgood him or outgive him. He's gooder than you are. Here's the last one. If we're going to trust him. We're going to have to just simply trust his goodness and not pull back from him. So we trust him. Don't limit him. So many times people come to the Lord and they go, well, I'm not a preacher and I'm not, I'm not on staff. And I'm, so I'm, I'm just kind of like a second class citizen. There are no second class citizens. There are no second class citizens in God's kingdom. When you made Jesus your Lord, he made you part of the family. So don't, don't pull back and go, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not this. I'm not that. Don't do that. Do it. You listen, don't be afraid to draw close to him. 
Don't be afraid. You say, well, if I, if I come close to him, he's going to ask me to do something I, I don't want to do. Alan, he's going to make me do something. I used to think, I, used, I really believe this. If I gave my life to God, if I really followed him, he was going to make me marry a woman I couldn't stand and send me to a place I never wanted to go. <laughs> I, I really was. That, that was a, let me t- can I tell you something? That is a lie of the enemy. Because God will be better to you. He gave me a woman I didn't deserve and sent me to a place that I absolutely love. I'm going to tell you something. God is good and you can trust him to be good to you. And if you, and if you know, listen, if you know, if you know he's gooder than you are and he's gooder than anybody you know and he's fairer than anybody you know, it makes giving to him a whole lot different. Because he is and was and always will be a rewarder. The Bible said it this way in, in Hebrews This verse, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, you may not understand how that's going to work in your life, but you just say the very same thing that that Peter said to him. Lord, I don't know, but nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to trust you. And nevertheless, at your word, I believe that you're a rewarder. I read about a guy a number of years ago in, in 2000. He started going to his favorite restaurant, Luby's. And, uh, he was, he was 82 years old. He was from that generation that really loved Luby's. Um, he, he would go and every day for seven years. He went, he went every time Luby was up, every day he went. And he cussed and he stomped and he was demanding and he wanted his food perfect. He was the most difficult customer they'd ever had. And he had one of his preferred waitresses. Her name was Melina Salazar. And Melina was kind to this man. She smiled, she was patient to him, never got a thank you, never got anything gracious towards her. And seven years after Buck Walters started showing up at Luby's, he passed away right before Christmas. And Melina Salazar got word that Buck Walters had left her $50,000 in a car. She said, the news got a hold of it. She said, I still can't believe it. She said, he was always kind of mean. When I read that story, I thought, huh, isn't that amazing? We read a story about a mean old crotchety guy who blessed a a, a waitress with $50,000 in the car. He rewarded her for her kindness. Mean, grumpy, crotchety, cussing. And I've got a heavenly father who's not mean, who's not grumpy, who's not crotchety, who's not cussing, He's a blesser. He's a giver. He's a rewarder. And if that man could reward that, how much more will our Heavenly Father say, if you'll seek me, if you'll come after me, you'll draw close to me, I'll reward you. He is a rewarder. And he's totally fair. If anyone could have said, it's not fair, it's God. If anyone could have said, it's not fair, because they sinned, I have to send my son. It's not fair that he has to pay the ultimate sacrifice for their mistakes. It's not fair that I have to send him to do what they can't do on their own, that I have to put the responsibility on him for what they couldn't do. It's not fair that I'll give my son and some will still reject him, but his love and his goodness and the fact that he's more than fair sent Jesus for us. And all anyone has to do now is say, Lord, I believe in you and you receive all the goodness, all the blessings, things you never deserved and never earned because he's good and he's more than fair. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment?
We'll be out of here in just a couple of minutes. If, but if you came today and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know that he knows that. Or maybe you're saying, I, I used to have a relationship with God. You're watching online. Maybe this is you. I used to have a, a relationship with the Lord and I've gotten away from him. We're going to say a prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to have you stand up. But this is a prayer that connects you with someone who will be so good to you and more than fair with you in your life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're one of the ones I'm talking to, you say, Alan, I've been away from God and I need to come back. Or, Alan, I'm not sure if I have a relationship with God. Would you pray for me? Shoot your hand up real quick just across this auditorium and we're going to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you for your courage. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You're like, oh, I missed it. No, this is a heart prayer. We're going to pray it with you. As a church family, if you're watching online, you can pray this out loud. If you're by yourself, if you're with other people, pray it quietly. If you're here, pray this with us. Together as a church family, say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, the head's still bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those that prayed it online, for those that prayed it in here. Father, thank you for those who have prayed it in the past. What a marvelous prayer that is. You have been good to us and gracious to us. Thank you that they were able to receive from your goodness and grace. Thank you, Father, for all those who are here who've received in time past, who know your goodness, who know how fair you are. Father, thank you. Expand our vision of you so that we might see you as you truly are and that we might trust you more. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.